Amen. Amen. Uh, friends, uh, every year, the very famous Time magazine uh, releases a list. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, it's a list of the 100 most influential people of that year. Uh, from celebrities to politicians, uh, from activists to artists, uh, whether uh, Donald Trump uh, to uh, Nicki Minaj, whether uh, Kim Jong-un uh, or Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, it's time's attempt to tell us who has impacted us most that year. Now, if you ever get to read that list, I want to say some of them are quite debatable. Uh, Nikki Mazars, for one. Um, but with lots, you'd have to agree. Uh, like the one we just saw, sneakily came up, uh, Steve Jobs. Uh, he's appeared in the list a full five times. Uh, five separate years, top 100. And I want to say it's not hard to see why. After all, we all know Apple products. In fact, hands up now if you own an Apple product. In the room... There you go. Where's Dan Cox? See, the Apple <laughs> there you go. That's influence. Uh, or what about Oprah? Uh, she's a little old school now. Here she comes. Um, but I can tell you, Oprah has appeared on that list a full nine times. And so influential is she that I don't even have to say her last name and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, how many other people can claim that? See, that's uh, Times 100 Most Influential. And the reason I raise it is, I want to ask tonight, if you could, if you like, run the Time magazine for a day, um, what would make your list? Uh, who would make your top 100 most influential? Uh, if you like, if you could put the I in influence, who would it be for you? Because the fact is, you see, we all have people in our life like that. Whether those people are real or uh, virtual, just existing on a screen, whether their influence is realized by you or not, our lives are shaped and influenced by a whole range of different people. Uh, by their example or ideas, uh, their vision, their values, the things we take on, the way we follow behind. And the question I want to ask is, who is that for you? Put another way, who do you like on Facebook? Who do you follow on Instagram? Uh, whose fashion do you copy? Uh, not many copy mine, I don't think. Uh, well, whose <laughs> movies do you watch? Uh, where do your words come from? Uh, whether it's so dank. We still use that, Sam? Yeah, okay. Uh, or, or totes, totes orcs. No, I don't know. Perhaps at this moment right now. Uh, who or what influences you and what's more even more importantly who should influence you see that's our question see that's what makes the book of 1 Samuel so exciting and so relevant because you see as Candace told us last week that's what 1 Samuel is all about after all, you remember last week, as we come to the book of 1 Samuel, we come to a nation in a leadership crisis. If you're not familiar with 1 Samuel, think 3,000 years from now, uh, 1,000 years before Christ. Uh, God's people have just uh, entered the land for a couple of hundred years now. And then we come to Judges chapter 21 and we're told, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did 
as they saw fit. In those days, Israel was in chaos and they desperately needed the right kind of influence. And the question was, from where should it come? Where should they look for the influence they need? Where should we look for the influence we need? See, that's the question 1 Samuel asks. And what's the answer? Well, in the opening chapter of this great, great book, the answer is not, and this is where you can write something down if you're playing along on the outlines, uh, not to where the world looks. Not to where the world expects. You've got your Bibles handy. Pick it up. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathane, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children. But Hannah had none. Since the book of 1 Samuel opens, we're introduced to a man. A man who you've never heard of. From a town you've never heard of. With a father you've never heard of. And a grandfather you've never heard of. And as it turns out, a great-grandfather you've never heard of. And a great-great-grandfather you've never heard of. In fact, let's just test that out now. Hands up, before you heard this chapter tonight, you'd ever heard of Tohu. Not to be confused with tofu, (laughs) one of Ryan's personal favourites. Or what about zuf? I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Or what about the the town, sorry, Ramathame Zophim? Anyone? No. Good. That's the point. See, that's a town enlisted by its name. It's never again mentioned in all of the Old Testament. That's the point. See, as the book of 1 Samuel opens, we're introduced to a nobody from nowhere. To the kind of person who would never make Times Top 100. To the kind of person our world would never look to as someone of influence. And we meet his wives. You see there, verse 2. And in particular, one wife named Hannah. And that's our Hannah, read that name very well. A name which means grace. Which means generosity which means favour, but who in this story, this Hannah, sadly appears to have been shown none. The Lord, we're told, has closed her womb. You see, verse 5 and again verse 6. And so Hannah is sad, desperately sad. And then to make matters worse, what are we told? We're told, verse 6, that she is mocked. And why? Because of this very thing that makes her so sad. Pick it up, verse 6. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, of all places... If ever he should be safe from being treated badly, it was here. But no, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. 
And so what does Hannah do? Well, at least on the day we're shown here, she does what every godly Christian does in the face of desperate, desperate sadness. There in verse 10, she cries out her tears and she cries out to God. Did you see? She cries and she cries and she cries to the one who loves her most. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. See, as the book of 1 Samuel opens, who do we meet? I want to say we meet a nobody from nowhere with his childless wife, mocked, misunderstood, and crying out to God. And I think it was the Beatles uh, who once sang, and if Nick's here, he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he's a real nowhere man uh, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody, Nick. Yes, okay, good. <laughs> Well, I doubt very much that they meant it. They could have been singing that about these people, couldn't they? And again, friends, I want to say that's the point. That's what we're supposed to see and learn right from the very beginning on this book on leadership. When it comes to the one whose influence we need, we need to know that it's not going to come from where the world expects no matter how impressive they might seem, no matter how great, no matter how much that person might tick all our boxes. Friends, the fact of the matter is God has a different list, a different measure to the one that our world so often holds in its hands. And of course, if we ever needed proof of that, all we need to do is look again, don't we, at what they said of Jesus. Uh, after all, you remember what they said when Jesus came, don't you? Uh, you remember when, when Nathaniel uh, heard of him from an excited Philip? He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Uh, which if you want a bit of help of uh, some context, what that might be like, it, it might be like saying, Moe, <laughs> can anything good come from there? It, it said, obviously, you, Lauren. Lauren, you come from Mo, you're wonderful. But you get the point. <laughs> or when Jesus returned back to his hometown in Matthew 13, isn't this the carpenter's sons? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I mean, I mean who does he think he is? He is a nobody from nowhere. Why on earth should we listen to him? It's just as Isaiah predicted, isn't it? As he looked forward to Jesus some, some 500 or more years earlier, and especially to his death for us in Isaiah 53, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds at that cross we are healed.
So the question we've been asking is where should we look for influence, guidance, direction? And the first thing God wants you to understand is that it's not to where the world looks. It's not to the rich and famous or to those who feel our Facebook feeds, to those plastered outside the news agencies, to those who, who come on all the celebrity shows and tell us how to live. It's not to the best and brightest that our world has to offer. It's not to those countless celebrities who we are told really know us just because we happen to know them. No, it's from somewhere else entirely. And where's that? Well, you'd never guess. It's the one who's been influencing all of chapter 1, quietly behind the scenes. The one who Hannah will sing to in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's the Lord who made the world. As it says in your outlines, but instead, the Lord who made the world. Before we get to that point, you need to know that between those two sections that we had read earlier, the Lord does remember Hannah in verse 19. Just as she begged back in verse 11, nearly got you. Just as he did when he saved his people from Egypt, the Lord remembers Hannah and he acts for her and he loves her. And Hannah falls pregnant, she has a son, and she names him Samuel, which just happens to sound like the Hebrew word for asked for. And then she keeps her vow and she gives her son to God. And then we come to chapter 2 where Hannah sings this prayer. To the Lord who made the world, to whom nothing and no one compares. Have a look if you've got it there. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. You know, I was, when I was growing up, one of my favourite songs was by a lady named Sinead O'Connor. Uh, and again and again, in the chorus of the song, Sinead would sing, nah, I can't know if I can do this with a cold. Nothing compares, and I can't do it with Then she said, nothing compares <laughs> to you. And you see, that's what Hannah sings here, doesn't she? Verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Nothing and no one compares to you, she says. And therefore nothing and no one should influence like you, she says. And so Hannah warns, don't, whatever you do, don't pretend otherwise. And don't look elsewhere. Don't do what it seems everyone else does and pretend that it's you or, or they or, or someone else who runs the show and rules the world and deserves the glory. Verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds away. Like I remember once when I was a student about your age, uh, talking to a good friend of mine, and we were actually talking about pretty much this, uh, actually, about who God is and who we are and his right to rule and how he's the only God, and we went backwards and forwards, one and the other. And in the end, my friend just couldn't take it anymore. And finally, he blurted out about God. 
I mean, who does he think he is? And of course, that's the point. He thinks he's this. He is this. He's the God who knows all and rules all and who, when he chooses, turns our world upside down. Have a look there, verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren, like Hannah, has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. See, don't think, Hannah says, that when our world calls strong, we'll always be strong. And who the world calls full will always be full. It is always God's way to turn our world around. After all, verse 7, do you see verse 7? The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. It's just as Jesus said so clearly, do you remember? Luke chapter 18, For all those who exalt themselves, lift themselves up, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves before the Lord to accept His Son will be exalted. Or in Mark, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, the Lord is a God who consistently turns the tables. You know, it's so funny, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you ever get the chance to kind of step back and look at our world and, and where we chase influence, it's as if we're all little moths chasing after these various flames. And as one flares up, so we rush over there. And another flares up, so we rush over there. And this celebrity says, so we rush over here. And then that celebrity says, so we rush over there. But see, Hannah says, no, don't be so easily fooled. Don't be so easily led. Brother, look to the one who feel like he's holding the match, who lights the flames and blows them out. And it says there, verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Or there, verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ashy. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. See, that's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. Why? Why is he that powerful? Why can he do all this? Well, here's the bottom line. You'll see as verse 8 continues. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He is the Lord who made the world, Hannah says. And so set your course by him. Look and listen to him. And then... She goes on, 
And actually quite incredibly, given where we are in the history of Israel, God's people, in a nation who to this point, and even now as Hannah writes, have never had a king, in answer to that question of where should we look for influence, Hannah says, first, not to where the world looks, but instead to the God who made the world, and to the king who he will give. You see? <coughs> and to the king who he will give. Verse 10, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. No matter how it looks now out in our world or feels now out on our campus as you hold out your Jesus is better postcards and you tremble with your felt boards as you try to talk to people. Verse 10 again, the most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And then she says it, this remarkable thing. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Which is, by the way, the word from which we get Messiah in Hebrew. Christos in Greek. And the Christ as the Christians in the room will know. You see, where do we need to look for influence? Where do we need to look to live this life well? Where will we find the direction we need for life? It's in the Lord who made the world. And it's in the King that He has given. Now, the rest of the book's going to have a lot more to say about that. I don't want to say too much more now because I'm kind of Spoiler, wreck the book. But as we come to the end of just these first wonderful chapters, I think the question that we're left with is, where do we look for influence? What are the voices that most often or most loudly speak into our lives? Are they from where the world looks? The same voices that they follow, same screens that they watch, same celebrities that they fawn after. Or is it from this God and his Christ that we meet in his word? Now on the one hand, I want to say, at least for this moment, I think all of you can say, for me it's the second. I mean I'm here. I'm listening. And I say, that's great. But I want to ask, what about away from here? Who are you really listening to? And who are you listening to the most? Really, from where does your influence come? Because I want to suggest that is a really serious question to answer. And it literally makes all the difference in the world. And I want to say, if you're interested in answering that properly, you might like to do something about that this week. I want to suggest what you could do is a simple influence audit. I've never heard that phrase before. I think I made it up. <laughs> For just one week, I want to suggest you pay attention to what you watch and what you read and what you listen to. 
You might even like to in a little diary or you know, iCal, whatever you use, log in some times and actually measure the influence into your life. And as you do, think very carefully about who is influencing you, who is directing your life. You've got changes to make, make them. But what I'm hoping if you do that, you'll be encouraged even more to deliberately look to the God who made the world and to the King He has given to you. Let's pray about that now. And Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way your world speaks so wonderfully and clearly into the world in which we live. Even from this wonderful part of Israel's history thousands of years ago, we thank you, our Father, for what you reminded us of tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not run after what the world runs after, to know how to do life and to influence us. We pray instead, Father, that we would come to you, the author of life, we come to the wonderful King you have given for our sake. Father, we pray that for every person in the room, please work in us that this would happen for us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.